The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's essential morning show. PCRT. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today on Squawk Pod, the world's largest money manager making a fundamental change, putting sustainability at the heart of its investment strategy. BlackRock's Larry Fink. I truly believe the purposeful companies that I write about for the last few years are going to be the companies that are focusing not only on their stakeholders, but they're going to be focusing on the long-term impact on climate change and how it impacts their company. Fink's annual letter to CEOs and his reflections on the future of finance. Well, it was the hardest letter I've ever written. Um, And I do believe I, I, I became more emotional as I wrote it. Plus, a candid discussion from Joe, Becky, and Andrew on the change. I think there's a lot of companies that are spending a lot more time than we are talking about on this program that are talking about these issues, not just talking about them, spending real money that's, that's hitting their bottom lines related to these issues. Today, a special podcast featuring a CNBC exclusive. We'll bring you an extended interview with BlackRock CEO Larry Fink, including comments not seen on TV. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Tuesday, January 14th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. We have some major news that's taking place in the world of business overnight. Uh, Larry Fink, founder and CEO of BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager with nearly $7 trillion under management, announcing today that the firm will make investment decisions with environmental sustainability as its core... As Andrew implied, when the founder and CEO of the world's largest asset manager makes a shift in his investment philosophy, the world listens. Larry Fink writes a letter like this one every year. It's closely watched by the entire business community, and it's been known to change conversations in boardrooms around the globe. Two years ago, he penned a letter underlining corporate purpose over profit. That one engendered a response, you could say, from the business roundtable, who the following year redefined corporate purpose and responsibility. We've spoken about that extensively on CNBC and especially here on this podcast. Fink's letter today is about sustainability. He writes, The evidence on climate risk is compelling investors to reassess core assumptions of modern finance. He refers to a near-term reallocation of capital and outlines a series of changes to BlackRock's clients' portfolios. Among them, BlackRock will be exiting investments that present a high sustainability-related risk and launching new funds that reject fossil fuel-oriented stocks, overall strengthening the manager's commitment to sustainability. As you'll hear, the planned strategy shift is rooted in a corresponding shift in the financial landscape. But that doesn't mean the environmentally conscious undertone was missed by Joe, Becky, and Andrew. I do think this is one of those days where people will change. I think we're going to talk about this uh, for many, many years. And I think in the sustainability conversation, you're going to see it from many more companies. I think we're going to be talking about it, frankly, all not just next week as some kind of European situation in Davos. But I'm already hearing getting emails from people about plans that big companies are making 
that are going to have real costs to them that are going to ultimately impact their bottom line in maybe good ways and bad ways. But I do think it's this is how the conversation changes. Get a lot of emails and Twitters too, as you can as you can imagine. But I mean, the bottom line is we're on a planet with fixed resources. We need to be very careful to shepherd what we do on this planet, whether it's strip mining or what we're doing to the oceans or whatever you're talking about. No one's not against, no one's against sustainability. Nobody wants unsustainability. I looked up an antonym for that and it's temporary. It's fleeting. It doesn't sustain. If you're not sustaining life, you're doing but something I think this wrong. It's very interesting because you're now going to have investors who are taking effectively activist positions. Again, they're going to be divesting of thermal coal. That's probably the biggest divestment program in the last Decade, but people in are investing in, in, in meatless decision. meat. They're investing in. It, it, you're going to have. No, you're going to have people. Inve- to people meat. invest oh. in their with their feet based on their own ideologies. Larry has that ideology. I would not make investments based on AOC or Bernie Sanders Can, ideologies. I, I just wouldn't. I just want to make be clear. I don't believe that this is a political view. I do. I know you do, but I don't because believe it's a political it, view that Larry has on this issue. I think that he is no, making it, an economic view that there's an entire generation, Joe, of younger people who are more interested now in these issues than ever before, and that when they sign up for their next index fund and they're target dated, I'm saying, you know, retirement in 2050, they're going to do the one, they're going to take his new, his new fund that screens out fossil fuels, that right. screens out companies that are not sustainable, and that's going to change the entire economic decision. I just want adults to stay in charge for as long as they possibly can. And, and they can do whatever they want. They can invest wherever they want. They can do that. Let's just hope that, that cooler heads prevail and, and, and you know, we continue along. Years from now, 50 years, 100 years, when the technology warrants it, but economic sustainability... Obviously, a $30 trillion New Green Deal is not feasible. It's not economically sustainable. He's not talking about I know that. it's not, but, the, but why does it seem to, to split along political ideologies? If you haven't picked up on it yet, Andrew and Joe have differing views, uh, but they agree that sustainability initiatives will change, have already changed the way America does business. And Larry Fink, for his part, thinks it should. Here's his exclusive, extended conversation with Andrew about his CEO letter and so much more. So this letter, you think, is the most important letter you've ever written? Well, it was the hardest letter I've ever written. Um, And I do believe I I became more emotional as I wrote it about what we need to do. And and more importantly, the reflection on my 40-odd years of being in finance. And I was thinking about all the different crises we've dealt with in my in my career, and it, it, it's very clear to me the physical changes that we may see with climate change are more permanent. We can't, we don't have a Federal Reserve to, to stabilize the world like in the, the five or six financial crises that occurred during my 40 years in finance. This is bigger, it requires more planning, it requires more public private uh, connections together to, to solve these problems. And I do believe many of these problems could be solved, but the actions have to begin now. There have been a lot of big companies and big investment firms that have talked about sustainability and climate change. But none of the largest money managers in the country thus far have made sustainability and climate change a central core tenet of their investing thesis. Why do you think that had been up until now? Well, I I think... 
Many reasons. One, um, you could debate whether the science was real or not real. You could debate whether the science is more accurate. And I think over time we're seeing more evidence that science is real. Two, um, it, we are hearing from more and more of our clients worldwide. And I'm talking about clients from the Middle East, clients from the south of the United States to the north of the United States, China, all throughout Europe. Clients are now asking us more and more questions about climate change, sustainability, and the physical impact, and how should they think about it. And so as the largest investment firm in the world, it was very clear to me that more and more clients are looking for advice from us, and we needed to really focus on how this is going to change. And quite frankly, in the last year, we actually have seen more and more sustainable products and more and more demand. So probably the most important inference from my observations is I believe we are just beginning a major reallocation of capital. What do you mean by that? I believe more of our clients worldwide believe in some form of the science, if not all the science, of climate change. And they're asking how should they be better prepared in, in their investment criteria. More and more clients are looking for a more sustainable portfolio to be more prepared. The other thing that I think I've made allusions to in my letter was I do believe this is going to change the municipal bond market. Areas that are more impacted by climate change is going to have harder times to finance their, um, their debt if they don't focus on the impact of climate change in their district, in their region, in their cities. I believe countries who don't focus on it could have serious impact related to climate change. So unfortunately, from what I see, we're not, we're not, we don't have a loud enough conversation and we are not focusing on this redistribution of capital. And I believe we're going to see more and more um, investors looking for advice. Where should they invest their money? To help us in this process, though, we need more transparency at the corporate level. And this is one of the key things. You know, for, for now over eight years, I've been writing CEO letters about long-termism. And nothing can be more long-termism than climate change. And so we are asking every public company to report under SASB and to report under uh, a TCFD. Um, and so we can have better granularity at the company level to see how they're performing. And I truly believe the purposeful companies that I write about for the last few years are going to be the companies that are focusing not only on their stakeholders, but they're going to be focusing on the long-term impact on climate change and how it impacts their company. Do you believe the science? I believe in the science, but I did not write it as an environmentalist. I wrote the letter as a capitalist, and my job is as a capitalist to help prepare our clients for uh, the redistribution of capital, and more importantly through that is to provide them with an investment portfolio that will outperform. What do you tell people who don't believe the science? We have clients who don't believe in the science, and for those clients, if they choose to be in different uh, uh, asset categories that that are um, that are whether it's companies or regions that will be impacted, that's their fiduciary responsibility. I have to respond as a fiduciary to all our clients, and this is 
one of the more difficult roles as a financial advisor. This is not my money. Our entire pool of assets are other people's money, and we have clients who don't believe in the science of climate change. And, you know, we, we, in our second letter to our clients, we said we don't believe any investing in thermal coal is a good investment. So we are, we are not investing in thermal coal. Um, and for those clients who want to be in, in hydrocarbon companies, that's their job and wishes, and, and we will work with them. But what we want to do is through the lens of, of better information, we believe we'll have the opportunity to invest in companies in that area that, will, that are better prepared for right. it. What do you tell municipalities, some of which may very well be your clients, states, different municipalities, where fossil fuels is a major component of their local economy? And this is why I write in my letter, the climate transition, the climate change is going to require a huge energy transition. It's going to be 40 or 50 years. So we're not running away. We need to have an organized plan for those countries, there are countries too that are heavily based on hydrocarbons, uh, for those countries, for those states, for those municipalities, our job is to inform them what we are seeing as an asset allocation. We are not running away from all hydrocarbons because we do believe they play a role. We believe natural gas plays a very large role in the, uh, in the tr- energy transition. Uh, and so we believe this is a process, not just we're not we're not stopping. We are we did make a statement that coal is not a good investment now. But the most important thing is through that transparency, our job is to provide better risk analytics, better risk adjusted returns with a sustainability. But your letter effectively suggests that long term fossil fuels will not be a good investment. We believe in most cases fossil fuels will not be a good investment. Um, but, but, but we are not saying they're not a bad investment today either. We, we believe over time we are going to see this energy transition. And some of the biggest energy companies are in the forefront of, the, of renewables and working towards that. So this is not a black or white, and we're not making a black or white statement related to any of the I would say the fossil fuel companies. What we want these companies to do is provide more transparency and move forward towards that. The Trump administration has a very different view about climate change. It doesn't believe it right now. What do you tell members of the administration, politicians who don't believe in climate change, about what you are now trying to do? I believe we need to have a conversation with every government in the world, including our government, to be better prepared for this. I believe we need to be spending large sums of money on infrastructure to be more prepared for this. I believe there's more and more science that it is proving that climate change is real and having a very large impact. I also believe that if, if we are going to be fair and just, we need to also focus on this transition. Many people are going to be left behind with this transition. We need to make sure, and this is unfortunately with government officials, they're focusing on the sh- more of the short term at times than the long term. What I'm talking about is a long term trend that is, that is going to have a remarkable impact on valuations of companies, valuations of industries, 
and we believe there are going to be some industries that are going to be better prepared. Some companies in the energy mix will be better prepared, and those are the type of companies we're going to be investing in. So we're not running away from those companies, but we want better transparency in how companies are becoming more prepared for this. We want to also work with more and more governments and explain why we believe in in, in the science. And I'm not here to tell you I'm a scientist. I can't tell you 100% is going to be accurate. I can't tell you if 5% is to be accurate, or I can't tell you if they're not pessimistic enough. But I do believe uh, from all the science I'm reading and all the transformations that we are seeing, and in all my conversations that I see, there's more and more evidence that we're seeing a real impact. I've spoken to insurance companies and how they're insuring, and they're seeing differences in where each state in the United States is producing crops. In some states, we are already seeing from floods and heat a transformation of what crops are being produced in different states. We are actually seeing some crops are moving further and further north because they can't grow with the vitality with, with the excess heat or excess humidity. We are seeing and witnessing insurance companies changing how they insure uh, houses where there's physical risk, whether it's fire or flood. We are seeing an asset reallocation now, but we're not focusing on it. We're looking at it, okay, that's just in the insurance industry. Well, no, it's not. It's impacting how we live. So if you're that homeowner and you want to live in that community, but you can't get that flood insurance or a flood insurance that you can afford, it's going to change how you live. We've interviewed Warren Buffett over many years, and we've invariably asked him about climate change. And he has often said that he believes in climate change and that he worries about the future. And yet, when you ask him specifically about the impact on business, on the insurance business, on premiums, Mm. he's indicated, at least thus far, that climate has not made an impact. Well, I'm not an insurance company executive like he is, but I have spoken to many CEOs in property and casualty and reinsurers, and they have told me exactly they are readjusting how they um, uh, assert premiums and how they uh, how and where they are insuring, where they're not insuring. So I, I I have a different viewpoint from my conversations with our clients. What was the eureka moment for you over the past 12 months? to decide that this was going to be the central issue in your letter and fundamental shift and change in approach of the business? I think it was just over time reading more, um, more science, more research, uh, listening to my team. My team came out with a really remarkable study on physical impact from climate change uh, in fall. And um, that left a big impact on me. And then from reading that, our own internal document that we distributed and published, uh, in fall when I was at the UN, in fall when I was at the IMF, and all my travels three times to China this past six, the past six months, every conversation, whether it was 20% or 100% was related to how should I think about climate change in my portfolio? Or how should, as you know, I met with governments, even governments in the Middle East. They were asking, you know, how should they navigate more um, solar and more wind? Because for OPEC countries, 
the movement towards renewables is very powerful for them because their OPEC uh, uh, ceiling on production is is only based on production, not how much they sell. And in some of the countries use 20 to 40 percent of their domestic production uh, for domestic usage. So if they could reduce the amount of domestic need, they could actually sell more. And so this is this is so in every area, Andrew, more and more people are asking us, how should they be more prepared? How much of it, though, was also the public pressure? There have been protests physically outside this building. Yeah, with there my have, picture on it. With your picture yes. on it. There have been letters sent uh, from people uh, talking about uh, the destruction of the Amazon, from people yes. talking about the destruction in, in Australia. Yes. How much of that has weighed on you? Very little. Um, but they serve a purpose. I'm not here to say um, they're not, you know, I do believe in freedom in speech. Um, I, I have to be motivated by what I think my clients need. And so everything I focus on is the needs of our clients. And it was my client's inquiry, as I discussed with you earlier, it was my client's inquiry that really became the eye-opener to me. I'm not trying to say they were not on my conscience, because, of course, I don't like seeing, walking into my building and being protested and, and everyone saying, oh, there's Larry, and, you know, it's an uncomfortable pe- uh, feeling. But, um, so, but, but that was not, as a fiduciary to our client's money, that was not a meaningful component of my thought process. I'm going to Davos. I don't want people throwing, throwing a monkey doo-doo at me or something. You know what I mean? I, I don't want... Thanks for the ideas when I'm sitting next to you. Appreciate <laughs> right. it. Right. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't like arguing religion. And I don't want to be a denier and I don't want to be a heretic. And I don't want to be... I don't want to go to jail. I think as I don't want to. this is not a religious issue. It is a capitalist bu- issue. No, it's a belief this system. This is an economic it's issue. It's a belief system and it's not based on very solid science. Anyway. Uh, our capitalist system says we need to go to a break. Next on Squawk Pod, more from our exclusive interview with BlackRock CEO and founder, Larry Fink. You have to have a thick skin for this. You know, I don't do this because I want to be yelled at. I wrote it in mind to, as the world's largest asset manager, to try to inform more people of where we believe asset allocation is going, where we believe the world of finance is moving towards, and we all need to be better prepared. And more from Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin as they digest the implications of Fink's CEO letter. If he did this 10 years ago, it would have been better for his investors. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. On today's podcast, a CNBC exclusive with Larry Fink, CEO and founder of the world's largest asset manager, the $7 trillion-plus BlackRock. He announced in his annual CEO letter plans to change the way BlackRock makes investment decisions and take into account companies' sustainability practices and plans to combat climate change. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin with Larry Fink. How much of this, though, is driven by the investment itself, getting ahead of the narrative, if you will, 
or what some climate advocates would say should be the goal, which is to save the planet from burning? Well, I, as a fiduciary, and especially in the United States, living under the rules of ERISA, where you're required to only focus on the maximization of return, those climate people who believe we have to save the planet, I understand what they're saying, but we are, we're living under a different rule in this country, and we have to live under that rule. Um, Do you think that rule should change? I have been advocating for that rule to change quite considerably. It actually started changing under President Obama and reversed itself um, uh, under President Trump. So this is something that I do believe uh, needs to be relooked at. But what we are saying here, we believe under ERISA and maximization of return, we believe uh, a portfolio that focuses on um, sustainability and climate change will be a portfolio that outperforms. So. The main component of the letter is saying this is going to be a great investment over the next 10 years. Um, And it will also help the planet. In the context of the way consumers behave when it comes to owning stocks and different funds, how quickly do you think that consumers are going to turn over their traditional fund and replace it with a climate or more sustainable orientation. That's happening already in Europe. So we're already seeing in Europeans changing towards more sustainable products. You can't sell a product today in Europe without having that type of analytics or lens. In the United States, it certainly is going to take time. Uh, And I'm not, we're not calling for something that's going to be transformational in, in in a day. But I, I, a good example, we launched a sustainable money market fund. 2019, we raised $8 billion. Um, We had the fastest growing sustainable ETFs. Uh, So we are beginning to see it. And if you do believe in the notion that we are going to have a a huge generational change and and, and movement uh, to the younger generation with, uh, you know, with uh, family transitions, um, we are witnessing more and more young people focusing on these issues. So I do believe over time in this country and in many other countries, the lens of sustainability with the new investors are going to, is going to become a bigger and bigger component of investing. And will these funds invariably be offered, do you think, in the degree people have them in 401k plans and other things with the same Um, access that some of the older, more traditional funds do? Totally. Absolutely. And what do you tell the public, so many of whom are going to look at your ownership of companies over the next several years and see fossil fuels and fossil fuel-oriented companies in in your portfolio, Mm -hmm. given that so much of it's passive to begin with? Yes. And say, ah, They're hypocrites. They're not doing more. They're not pushing on the indexes themselves to eliminate these things. Well, the indexes and indexing companies, we're going to be pushing them to create more sustainable funds. So our job is to create choice. And for those who are arguing against us, I have to tell them it's not my money. And we're, we're doing everything we can to provide a sustainability lens, better analytics. We're going to show them... Uh, and we do believe they're going to outperform, and I do believe over time we're going to see this transformation. So right now, every single morning, 
We show you the futures on the screen, yes. the squawk box, and we yes. show the S&P 500. Yes. We show the Dow Jones, industrial average. We show the NASDAQ. Five years from now, will those indexes be fundamentally different than they are today? Will they have screens for the sustainability issues that you're talking about? I do believe S&P and MSCI and all the indexes and Russells will have um, more prominent sustainable funds. But will they become the standard? I would hope, maybe it's not in five years, but maybe in 10 years, there's going to be the S&P or the MSCI index that has a whole sustainability lens. As I said to you, we believe sustainability will be investing across all different products. Um, and so, but I, can I tell you will be the core product that we're going to be looking at will have a, will be a sustainability ticker? I don't know. There's so much embedded money in the S&P and the MSCI in a world index. When it comes to governance and voting, mm-hmm. and one of the things you said in the letter is that you plan to be much more aggressive yes. about sustainability issues, how are you going to judge or measure or vote on the boards of companies like Exxon, of Chevron? What are you, what are you looking for them to do that they're not today? Well, we're asking all companies beyond energy companies to be, you know, to be off to be reporting on under SASB and um, and uh, the task force for climate financial disclosure. So if they do that, we have better tools to measure each and every company. There are some energy companies that have already done quite a bit already. I mean, you have BP, uh, you have Shell. Uh, those are two European companies that are, are already reporting under those methods. And how are you going to apply this to companies that are not in the energy world? But, but we're, we're going to be looking at every metrics. I mean, every company has some carbon footprint. And so that will be part of the measurement in the tools, and we'll see how this all plays out. Look, so at, we, what are you we, going to do if there is a company yes. with a management team that appears on the surface to be doing a tremendous job in terms of the earnings and the growth of the company and the stock of the company, and yet their sustainability plans are not on par with what you would think. Are you going to vote against them? Um, Well, I'm not the one who's voting, but I think we would be posing some questions to them. And my long-term view is how you it will be harder for that company to outperform over a long period of time if they're not addressing some of these society's issues. These are not BlackRock's issues. These are society's issues. And what I'm saying is more and more in society are raising these issues. So for a company to be totally uh, uh, negligent on those issues and have great results, I'm going to find it, I find it hard to believe that the inconsistency of that. I do believe companies who are focusing on society's desires and needs are going to be those companies that have better outcomes financially. And I do believe those companies are going to have better long-term profitability. Typically, the day after your letter is released, you get sometimes on the order of hundreds of phone calls and emails and other correspondence. (laughs) What kind of reaction are you planning for, perhaps bracing for this year? Well, I mean, you know, you have to have a thick skin for this. I, 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 you know, I don't do this because I want to be yelled at, but we'll have some components of people who are not going to be happy with the letter. On the other hand, I do believe most of our clients, it's, you know, the majority of our clients or more are going to be very thankful we're moving this. They're going to be looking for us to be helping them think about these issues 
That being said, um, you know, I've been doing this a long time. There have been years where I'd say 70% of the people loved it, 30% hate it. Uh, I'm not here to tell you whether it's going to be 70, uh, 30, or 30, 70. Uh, and I can't tell you if the far left or the far right is going to hate it more or love it more. I, I'm, I, you know, I'm doing this pretty blind right now. You do read you, it. What do you think? Do you expect <laughs> CEOs yeah. to look at this and say, thank you, Larry, you're now going to give us cover to make some of the changes we want, even if it's going to hit our own short-term profits, or do you think they're going to call you and, and be furious? I would say the majority will be thankful. I mean, I'm not doing this in a vacuum, because as I said, I've been interviewing and talking to many people about many CEOs and how they see climate change impacting their business. Um, I'm not here to represent that I'm going to have 100% love and, and kisses by by many people, but I'm not. Right. I didn't write it with that in mind. Mm -hmm. I wrote it in mind to, as the world's largest asset manager, to, to try to inform more people of where we believe asset allocation is going, where we believe um, the world of finance is moving towards, and we all need to be better prepared. We're, we're all going to Davos next week. This yep. is going to be the single biggest topic there. I would actually argue to you, I think that sustainability is going to turn out to be the single biggest topic of 2020 for business writ large. And I think we don't spend enough time talking about it. But it, And I hadn't even appreciated the amount of both energy and effort that companies and money that they are spending, whether it's Amazon with their sustainability Walmart's program, been doing it for over Walmart, a decade. but but they're but they're buying forests. They're 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 doing there's there's there are internal charges that are, that are going uh, that are taking place. where they're actually charging each other's departments for these things, not shadow money, real money. And I think we are oh, sort Walmart, of at a Walmart has point. gone like store by store um, for the last decade and tried to make every one of its stores more sustainable, from the rainwater they use to the electricity right. to. I think what we're talking though about is something even much more significant. People who are going to be getting to not just carbon neutral in some cases, carbon negative. Um, I, I don't are, know why. I don't, I don't, I don't think you should involved. talk about it in terms of just purely in terms of CO2. I think you should talk about sustainability in terms of natural resources, in terms of what goes into the ocean, in terms of clean water, in oh, terms plastics, of sustainability paper. of life on the planet. Who is not for sustainability? Nobody's for fleetingness. Nobody's for temporary Of course we're for sustainability. For years, Malthusian arguments have been made that we're going to run out of things. And we will run out of fossil fuels eventually. And we will transition to sustainable and renewable energy. But you also want to, to couple this with a sustainable economy and to go immediately towards non-economic sources of energy at this point. In Davos, they're going to talk about ending the fossil fuel-based economy. Joe. You're not, Joe. Andrew, don't interrupt me. You're not going to end the fossil fuel-based economy anytime soon. And, and by okay? the way, Larry Fink is not trying Fine. to do that. Okay, I'm, um, I'm so or, excited about that. I don't say that Larry Fink's not trying to do that. I think Larry Fink would like to if he could. I know he would. Um, and Larry's and been a the, lefty way, his entire life. I think life. that Microsoft would like to. I think that Apple would like to. I actually think that most major corporations, including Walmart, would like to if they can. What was interesting about Andrew's column is the idea that Larry's doing this because he has not, he has not been as forefront as a lot of people have been pushing him to do. His point is there will be millennials who will be taking well, over we'll CEOs see. and reallocating some of I this mean, money. We'll and as Andrew said, if he did this 10 years ago, uh, it would have been better for his investors because if you look at the energy sector over the last 10 years, it's been up 2%. We'll see what happens. Being, being an energy investor over the past two, 10 years has been a terrible, terrible investment. 
That is that is true, irrespective of what your views but are. But we, we still have a fossil fuel based economy yeah. globally. So and China's not going to change. India's not going to change. Neither is the United States. So one of the things that Larry is saying in this letter about on fossil fuels specifically, he's not saying I'm getting out of all fossil fuel companies. In fact, I would actually argue today he's going to get a hit from the right and the left in all sorts of different ways because there can people say he's not going far enough. Yeah. And there's other people who say he's That's going I mean. far on one side. But but specifically on fossil fuels, he says, look, there's a transition period that's necessary. Well, it's a long there's way. a cost to that, and we have to be mindful in, 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 in how we get there. So that so you don't I force people think, out of jobs along the way. So I don't think that he's necessarily saying that. Having said that, I think there's a lot of companies that are spending a lot more time than we are talking about on this program that are talking about these issues, not just talking about them, spending real money that's, that's hitting their bottom lines related to these issues. And I think right. that this, Look, this Andrew, fact that he is having this conversation no yep. other U.S. American major investor has had that conversation the right. way he just did, and that's why it's significant. Once again, though, once again, though, we're having the conversation, and they're all still flying to Davos on their private jets. No one's walking the walk yet. No one's willing to do anything that would act stop eating meat. No one's doing any of the. It's just having the conversation once again. Squawk Pod. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. We're back. That's the show for today. Thank you for listening. If you would like to hear Andrew's full interview with Larry Fink, you can head to CNBC.com. It's right on the homepage. And if you'd like to read Andrew's thoughts on the letter, you can find those in his dealbook column for The New York Times. For Joe's take on this and Becky's, head to Twitter, at Joe Squawk and at Becky Quick. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any feedback to what you hear on Squawk Pod, leave us a rating or review on your favorite platform or send us a tweet at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. 
Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.